Hey guys, this is Christopher Sean, aka Kazuriziono, and you are listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is a special episode. We are commemorating a very special event called Remembering Resistance. Star Wars Resistance is the reason I started this podcast. I wanted something to talk about in Star Wars that was just beginning, and it became an amazing 18-month journey for all of us um, with these wonderful people that were on the on the show, these characters. And I couldn't think of any way better to do that for this episode than to have someone from the show to talk about it, provide memories. Very honored to have Blue Ace, Toradoza herself, Myrna Velasco on the show. Hi, I am so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for uh, coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, anytime. So, um, yeah, it was really cool because uh, well, another thing about Resistance, uh, all of you were very approachable on social media, especially when the cast was announced. And you, I think you might have been the first person interacted with at all. So um, I, I thought it was really cool to, to be able to talk to you on the show for that reason. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I, uh, Star Wars Resistance was my very first uh, animated series that I, I, I booked. So I was just like excited to share this experience with everybody and being a Star Wars fan myself, I was like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. <laughs> we have to talk about how crazy this is all the time. <laughs> so thank you for reaching out. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so this was your first show, um, that you got on board with? Yeah, yeah. This was my, uh, first animated series that I booked. I, had done a little bit of um, guest starring here and there for animation as well as for live action. But yeah, Star Wars Resistance was the very first show that I booked as a series regular, and it was a dream come true. <laughs> uh, that's very cool. So to uh, take us through that, how did you, you know, what encouraged you to go into voice work and audition and all this? Oh, well, I had always been a theater kid growing up, so I was always... Um, just really into acting and uh, dancing and singing. And so getting into theater in junior high and high school was kind of the, the first step of recognizing that I really did want to follow this passion throughout my life. Um, and I grew up relatively close to Los Angeles. I grew up in a little uh, suburban area called Santa Clarita. And it was like a 20 minute drive to LA and I was kind of like a punk wild kid in high school and um, I thought like, you know, why not? Why not just kind of always be out in LA and this place is cool and it's got like live music and, and studios everywhere. Why not just stay here for a little while? Um, so I, yeah, after high school, instead of going to college for uh, a million of reasons, one being it was in the middle of the recession when I graduated high school and my dad 
uh, was a gardener and my sister was already going to a top art school. <laughs> so we were all like, I'm not sure that we can afford Myrna going to another top art school. So either community college or follow your dreams, kid. <laughs> and uh, I chose a little bit of community college and a lot of following my dreams. Um, so yeah, for the majority of my college experience, I really was just in Hollywood and LA auditioning and taking studio classes. And so Hollywood was my college experience. And it's just kind of like it, it, both parts made me really, um, really astute and really ready for this kind of work for voiceover work because it is really fast paced and it requires the actor to just think on your feet at all times but at the same time like it's just it was also falling into this part of Hollywood that is the sweetest comfiest nicest place in the world um voiceover is a smaller community and um by the time I had started auditioning for voiceover work I was pretty well exhausted with live action auditions you know you you go drive on the freeway for an hour and a half to try to sell Campbell's soup for three minutes you know uh, amongst a, a cattle call of a hundred other girls that look exactly like you but are wearing better outfits than you uh <laughs> and so um I had a manager at the time and I was really getting ready to just kind of drop out of the whole industry um I was doing yoga a ton I was ready to just travel the world and be a yoga instructor and my manager at the time was like will you audition for this one last thing for me um, if you don't want to do it anymore, it's okay, but I think you're really going to love this particular audition that I want to send to you. And I was like, okay, fine. It'll be the last audition I ever auditioned for. And uh, it was actually for, um, not for Resistance itself, but for live action Star Wars. So they were doing a call for... Um, Force Awakens. Uh, sorry, I'm hearing myself and like freaking out. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, uh, yeah, so uh, let me lower my, my volume a little bit. Um, yeah, so it was for Force Awakens. And I was like, it, it was such a top secret audition. I was freaking out. I had no idea what the movie was. I walked into the casting office. They gave us this script that was like coded in, in this non-photoable um, material um we had to like sign in and sign out and I it wasn't until I got there that they were like great you are auditioning for Star Wars and I was like okay <laughs> um and something just really clicked obviously I didn't get a part in Force Awakens <laughs> but I I really loved doing that audition I really loved um just like being in that experience and somehow through that live action audition my voiceover agent also got wind that I had worked for or excuse me not worked for Star Wars but had auditioned for Star Wars and that's when they were kind of pushing for more animation so my uh voiceover agents were like oh, hey, uh, we found out that you might know a guy. So we know a guy. His name is Dave. You might not know him. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, yeah, I, I recorded in my closet an audition for Resistance. At the time, I had no idea that it was Resistance because it followed the same Star Wars guidelines of mm -hmm. they gave us a, a coded script. They didn't tell us that it was 
for Star Wars at all. It was just a, a secret production company that's going to do this awesome animation. And so, you know, I just like auditioned in my closet and sent it out to my agents and was like, well, you know, I've had a last good couple of hurrahs with these great auditions. I'm going to go to Bali and, and go be a yoga instructor now. <laughs> uh, and then two months later, as I was like planning to do that, I got called for chemistry reads for resistance. And I, I just like was not in the mindset to to be worried about it because I was like, ah, I'm out of here. It's okay. I'll just drive down the street. Why not? Uh, and I, I guess that swagger kind of played off well because <laughs> I'm not swaggery at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it was just kind of this really amazing, fortuitous, one step at a time um, experience where I wasn't even thinking that like, oh, this is one of the biggest franchises in the world and one of my favorite things growing up that like my mom and I still talk about. Like it never even hit me. And it wasn't until um, maybe a couple of weeks, two two or three weeks after the chemistry read um, that I found out I got the part for Torah. And it, it, I will actually backtrack and say it was particularly funny because I had met Christopher Sean, who plays Kaz, at the chemistry read. And I thought he was, like, adorable and so sweet. And I was like, oh, man, I hope you get it. And it didn't really occur to me that while we were testing, they were switching out a lot of Kaz uh, actors. And really? yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, chemistry reads are, are like that, where they'll switch uh, a group of people to see, like, if you guys get along, if you guys have chemistry, if you guys can speak to each other and not hate each other. <laughs> Um, so they were switching out a lot of Kazes and a lot of Yeagers. And Susie McGraw and I, who plays Tam, we kept looking at each other and we we're like, well, that's weird that they're not switching us out. But OK, whatever. We'll just keep playing. Why not? And it didn't occur to me that that would mean anything. So at the end of the audition, Christopher, who was just so sweet, was like, you are so great. I hope I see you again. I'm like really sure you booked that part already. And I just looked <laughs> at him and was like. Yeah, don't say that, man. That's like a rude actor thing to say to each other. <laughs> um, so we, you know, just waved and hugged and said, you know, best of luck. And uh, yeah, and then a month later, uh, my agent, Sandy, uh, was like, hey, Myrna, you, you've got to go to work now. So tell those yoga studios that you can't go anywhere because <laughs> you've, you've got to go be on resistance now. So that was, yeah, it was just such a really fun trip of like, not being able to second guess myself and and really just kind of being there for the fun of the uh, of the experience. And then after I booked the part, then I was like, oh, my God, I miss Star Wars. What do I do? <laughs> that is really cool. Uh, do you know what role um, you were auditioning for for Force Awakens? Uh, you know, I believe it was Rose, but there were a ton of rewrites, and they also gave us uh, a mock script as well. So I'm not 100% sure, <laughs> but I think it was Rose. <laughs> Interesting. I know, I know. I mean, I think they, they went with the obviously wonderful choice, but yeah, like it was just such a really cool experience to be noticed from from one aspect of the Star Wars franchise and then being like kind of uh, carted into the other one and like, hey, we don't know if we can use her here, but please take her or please figure out something for her over there. And that was just like, oh my God, no one's ever done that for me. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that's that was the plan since they kept you um, in place during the 
the chemistry reads. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Seems that, to that's work. A, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's a really cool story. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, I was going to ask you about your audition for Resistance, but there it is. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, and I realize, I mean, you all, as I found out from talking to several of you about the process, I mean, this had to be, what, a year or two before we saw the first episode? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, so you had to keep the secret a long time. <laughs> yes. I had to keep a secret from my family, <laughs> um, from my best friends who like, again, we grew up playing imaginary Star Wars together and I couldn't say like, I, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I believe it was about 18 months to two years of pre-production and going in and figuring out these characters and, and uh, recording the first season before anybody even saw anything. And yeah, it was it was tough. <laughs> I, I I cannot imagine having to hold a secret that long. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess because of the way the production worked, we actually heard you before then um, with two kids in the house. We have it on Disney Junior all the time. So I know you were on Elena of Avalor. Was that the first aired role you did for voice work? That would have probably been the second ever aired voiceover job that I did. But uh, yes, yeah, the the very first job I booked, I believe, I, it's that sounds kind of snooty. Ugly, I can't remember. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the very first job I booked was um, Disney's Descendants, a Wicked World, which is a mini series, a mini animated series based off of the Descendants live action movie from Disney. Yeah. Um, so I played CJ Hook, which was Captain Hook's daughter, and that was so much fun. And it inevitably opened the door to Elena of Avalor for me. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I love, love working with Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, he's just such a gem of a human and like... Like we had, that was the first show where we had to sing songs and and rap. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't rap. <laughs> um, and Lou was would just look at me and be like, "Yes, you do. Just do it. And just even if it comes out bad or it comes out weird, it doesn't matter. Just do it. You're you. Do it." And it was so weird <laughs> that we would just be able to like rap and and have fun and create something that was so fun for children um i'm saying it in past tense because we did just finish the third season um relatively a little bit ago i think and some of those episodes have just come out so i keep talking about elena in past tense because it was such a really great experience and working with the casting director sam regal on it just again another experience of just opening doors for me and and with me and kind of yeah it's just it's just really a great um industry <laughs> vo has been really kind to me yeah um from having met uh like steve bloom and mary elizabeth mclenn last year j just seeing their body of work and you know the things you can do once you're in voice work um and, and and for you it's not just disney um you're in dc superhero girls that's pretty awesome yeah, yeah, another amazing uh, connection through through Disney actually, and working with Sam Regal. He was the casting director and kind of the shaper uh, with um, ooh, Lauren Faust. <laughs> I'm like, what are names? Uh, so Lauren Faust, the creator of DC Superhero Girls, her and Sam, they brought me on board, and I I was like, 
yeah, like I'm just this little kid from L.A. who just learned how to rap. And now I get to work with Ray Delisle and Tara Strong and Kari Walgren and Kimberly Brooks, like, and Cree Summer. Like, oh, my gosh, it's it's so exciting. And um, at the time when I was booking these kinds of roles, <laughs> the before times, the before Corona times, um, we were all working in the studio together. So it was such an incredible experience to watch literally the legends work and being able to sit in the room and learn from them at the same time as like being paid to work as an actor (laughs) was like unreal. Um, And it really did set me up to be able to like sit in here in my personal little booth at home and know what I need to do now. So it, yeah, the, the whole experience has just been really invaluable and I treasure it so much because I think it really has made me such a better actor. Um, and like our shows are just so great. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they are. <laughs> Thank you. Like I just, I always, I, I end up watching all the episodes because I'm like, even though it is kind of weird that I'm listening to myself or watching myself, these are really good animations and they have like such great just experiences for kids to look at and realize that like oh I may not be a superhero or I I may not be a uh you know evil magician but I I understand where those feelings come from because of the writing of this show and because of the way that these characters are portrayed and it's just it's really exciting to be able to offer that that's very cool and I you know, obviously you can't give anything away. I understand NDAs, but uh, hopefully there's more more to come with um, with that realm. I definitely hope so. <laughs> I definitely think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been been working. So there's a lot of stuff down the pipeline that I'm really excited for for people to see and and hopefully love. <laughs> Very cool. On a personal note. I would have been starstruck with Cree Summer because she, uh, I remember her when I was a kid, she was Penny on Inspector Gadget. I know, right? Ugh, yeah, she was Susie in Rugrats. Like, that's everything. Like, ugh, she's so great. <laughs> yeah, and, and we got to meet uh, Gray uh, Delisle last year because um, she also, I don't know if you remember, but she voiced a couple of characters on um, the Lego Star Wars. Um, she was, yeah, she was Maz Kanata. She was, huh? Yeah. She's everywhere. She's so amazing. Um, like I, I call her Mama because she's just like, oh, she's just so great. She's such a great role model. She's, she's always been the person that like, if I come into the studio and I'm like, well, this kind of dumb thing happened, she'll always be like, hey, well, think of it this way, or, or that's all right. Remember that you learned it that way. And she's just has such a sweet, kind heart and is always willing to just drop everything to make people feel good with voiceover. Like, I'm automatically thinking about um, a f- my, one of my best friends came to WonderCon with me, and um, she adores Gray. And Gray just, like, grabbed my friend's phone because she found out that my friend has a young daughter and was like, oh, let me uh, let me do a little voiceover thing for your daughter right now. I'll just I'll just make a oh. video. And does she, what character does she like the best? Does she like Wonder Woman? What does she like? We'll, we'll send her something. And it was just like, you didn't have to do that. You could have, we're at WonderCon. You're wearing high heels. You could have just sat down. <laughs> but, yeah, she's just so giving and so wonderful. It's 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 great that um, you get to work with people like that who have 
had that experience in the um, in the field. Uh, but let's let's move on to resistance because there's a you know great um, variety in that cast that I want to talk about. Um, and uh, we said last year, um, my son Little Han and I sat in on the um, resistance panel at uh, a convention, and they were talking about how. Um, it was an ensemble recording, um, which not every show does, from what I understand. Um, so what, what was that like, being in there with everybody and recording together? It was so amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had done a, a little bit of, you know, guest starring here and there. And when you go, typically when you go in to record voiceover, it's you go into a little room by yourself. There's an engineer and... In, typically the writer and director and casting director are in the room with the engineer, but it's usually just kind of like you alone with your cell phone and your script, and you're like, I will fight. And then you sit there for a second, and you're like, oh, man, I'm pretty sure that they hate me. I think they hate me. Uh, and it's just quiet. And then they, you know, they'll intercom, okay, can you say it with a smile? <laughs> and so it's it can be like a very isolating job. And... As an actor, as as someone who, you know, got into the industry just to be wacky and wild, uh, it's just so much more fun when you get into the room with somebody who understands that experience with you and, and knows that, like, if I just get a little sillier or a little more into it, I know you're going to get a little more into it, too. And so when we had, like, celebrity A-listers, you know, like... Elijah Wood in the room. <laughs> it was incredibly daunting to be like, are we gonna are we gonna play with this guy? Like are we gonna play? <laughs> and and starting that process with each other just made our cast so much tighter and knowing that like like we would do a take and I I would be like, oh man, I, I think I messed up that the way I was supposed to say that. I don't think that was the right way. And Christopher Sean would immediately just be like, you nailed it. That was so good. I was feeling stuff. And then, you know, Jason Hightower would be like, that's my daughter. Oh, I felt it. It feels so good. And we would all just do that for each other. And it's like, how often do we ever get to congratulate each other just for, like, being in a scene? <laughs> that never happened. So it, it was really just a wonderful experience to to know that every day I'm going to work and I'm going to hang out with my pals and we're all going to encourage each other and probably waste a lot of time making jokes and playing games. And, you know, Mary Elizabeth also was in on it too, as was Justin Rinch. <laughs> they were in on our games all the time. And so it just felt like going home and being with family and just, you know, hanging out and having fun. And then, oh yeah, we were also making Star Wars. <laughs> so, uh, you mentioned Justin Rich, um, the, one of the executive producers. We didn't find out till the series ended that he was the voice of Bucket. Did he record in the group to get also, or was that separate? No. Um, him and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, they would play with us because, you know, they'd, give, they'd feed us lines if uh, maybe one of the actors wasn't there or they'd feed us direction. And so he would sometimes feed us Bucket. And we were like, but who's going to play Bucket? Like, is anybody going to actually play Bucket? And him and Mary Elizabeth would lie and say, like, no, 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 we're just going to have, like, it automated or something. It's, nah, we're not going to have anybody. So it wasn't until the cast lists came out on, like, IMDb that we even knew that 
him and Mary Elizabeth were uh, voicing characters. Well, to be fair, I'll clean that up. Mary did tell us that uh, she was voicing one character, but we, whenever we were like, hey, come play with us, she's like, can't. I'm the adult <laughs> in the room. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so that was the only bummer. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was curious about that too, about the guest actors like Elijah Wood and, um, oh, uh, oh, who was it? Um, I am blanking on who played, um, well, <laughs> I'm wasting the air time. Um, was it Paul F. Tompkins who was in uh, one of the flicks episodes? Great question. Um, I don't know. Great question. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so but the uh, the guest actors did come in and um, what? Um, well, I don't think he had any scenes though uh, with Poe. Um. Uh, no. So <laughs> I'll clean that up a little for you. Okay. Um, some guest actors did come in, like Elijah Wood, um, Liam McIntyre. Oh my gosh, he was so much fun to play with. Um, who played Commander Pyre? Yes. And. Um, Bobby Moynihan came in. Like, there were a couple of actors who were, you know, in town who would be able to play with us. But um, unfortunately, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna just say that I think I, I need a redo on it. But our Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac, did was not in Los Angeles. So we never got to record with him. But, you know, if he's ever in L.A. and wants to record... <laughs> some Star Wars. I'd be cool with doing that too. <laughs> I, I I would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basking in his uh in his Oscar worthiness would be kind of really cool. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and and that's one thing I thought added some good legitimacy to the show. I mean, it's Star Wars, so it's it's going to matter no matter what. But the fact that um, Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie brought their movie characters onto the show. Um, that, that was just like an instant boost. And then, you know, it's like, okay, we got familiar characters. And now what we get to find out about all these other cool new people. Exactly. Yeah. It was so exciting because from the get go, we were told that this show follows a force awakens and there were a lot of talk of like, Oh, I wonder who's going to, um, Who's going to do the celebrity voices? Who's going to impersonate them? And then we found out that they're going to impersonate themselves. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it did give us a sense of legitimacy. And it gave us a sense of like, okay, it's no longer just Star Wars animation or Star Wars canon and then the big blockbuster movies. It was literally now like, we're all in this together. We're all family. We're, we're creating the stories together now. And that's like so exciting for next generation of of star wars franchising it really is i mean it just helps it move everything along with the kids and they're like oh they're you know they're some in the movie and they're here and yeah yeah and it follows like this really beautiful history from like your childhood my childhood the children your children's childhoods now and it's like this is so cool like we have this this um this huge um, historical like experience with our pop culture now. I don't know. It feels legitimate now. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So, all right. So we talked about the um, overall cast, but um, 
and you mentioned Jason Hightower who played Captain Doza tore his dad. And then we also had, um, is it Tasia? Is that how she pronounces her name? Yes, Tasia. Tasia, I'm sorry. Tasia. I should have asked you before we started. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, Tasia Valenz. Will you please say it? Because I'm, I'm going to feel bad if I say it wrong. See, but now you got me on the hook, and I'm worried I'll say it wrong, too. <laughs> uh, I think it's Tasia Valenza. Val- okay. Valenza, yes. All right, that sounds right. And hey. she played um, Tora's mom. Um, yes, Tasia Veniza. Valenza yeah. played Venisa Doza. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, so when, um, obviously, uh, Captain Doza was in the whole series, but we didn't get to meet um, Vanessa until later. Uh, did you get to record with her in the later episodes? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And right, it good. was godsend. Um, I kept feeling for the first season, and maybe it was something that Jason and I should have stopped joking about, <laughs> but <laughs> we didn't, and it kind of worked out. Uh, but Jason and I used to always joke that, Oh, this this episode, we were so worried they were going to kill us in it, but they didn't kill us yet. <laughs> um, so we kept kind of playing that game of like, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, and so is my character going to be killed off? But, you know, come season two, I got a mom, and automatically, as soon as Vanessa Dozo was written and I read her on the page, I knew exactly who Tora Doza was from that moment forward. And I knew exactly how I I needed to to portray this character so that we had this amazing and tough and strong generational duo of women because Vanessa is so cool and Tasia is so cool in real life. she, you know, she's, she's got swagger in and of herself, and she also is the type of person that will, like, if she sees you kind of worried or bristled or, or nervous, she can read that, and she knows how to, like, calm that down and give you her swagger as well. So it was really a, the most amazing experience to be able to kind of like wiggle my way through season one of like, okay, I kind of understand what Tora's is as a character, who she is. And, you know, it's, it's tough to be a teenager in an isolated world. But then the minute I read Vanessa's story and I I just knew that like, oh, oh, we have so much more to do. And I I can, I can just be a, be a tough chick now with my mom. (laughs) Yeah. And it was really a, a wonderful, another amazing, wonderful experience that I, I don't know how they knew that I needed it, but <laughs> um, Justin and uh, Athena Portillo, uh, another producer, executive producer in the show, you know, they just somehow knew to, to infuse storylines that would not only give the audience an incredible journey with these characters, but to give us performers an incredible journey with these characters as well. So when did you find out um, that, the mom character was going to be introduced. Uh, like a couple of days before we recorded. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you went through the whole first season without knowing that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, you know, we do a lot of recording with, um, what's the word? With, with, with locked scripts. So we don't get the scripts until a few days before 
we record. It's just a way to keep everything secured and um, so that there's no leaks on the internet. So for the first whole first season, um, you know, Jason and I and everybody was like, well, what happened to... What happened to Mrs. Doza? Where, where'd she go? Did she die? Is she a part of the? Uh, is she part of the First Order? Like, what, what, what happened to her? And there was also, you know, a lot of rumors of like, who's going to join the First Order? And um, so that was kind of a scary thing for me, where I was like, oh no, I hope my mom isn't a bad guy. <laughs> but um, yeah, in in just like seeing her and and finally reading on the page that like I have a mom I have a mom oh my gosh I have a mom it was just really really cool and yeah I just I just didn't know what to expect and it always is exciting to work for Star Wars because you just never know what's going to happen the next day when you actually report to work (laughs) well that, that was the beauty of the characters because we haven't really had that in Star Wars where we've had a family unit that nothing yeah, yes, there was separation, but they didn't have a tragic end. Yeah. And and you you all were together at the end and I thought thought, man, that's great. You know, it's not like cuz I don't know I don't know if you've read the books or anything, but like Poe's mom died when he was young and he was raised by his dad and so mm. I was like, well, I hope it's not anything like that, you know, and then and then she did pop up and we get a family and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I really love this animated series too because it's it gives us extra time to really develop these these side stories that, like, I do stay up at night wondering, like, what happened to the Palpatine clan? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so it, it, it was just really great to finally have in, in our experiences that, like, yes, some of us have tragic endings and some of us have tragic beginnings and some of us have to go through a level of uncertainty so that we can keep our family units and our communities together as well. Um, and yeah, I thought it was just really heartwarming to finally give fans an intact family unit um, that also like looks like me in real life was really, <laughs> really something else. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because that's something that's very important that this show did and I think is very important in Star Wars diversity and representation so you've got um, I mean your Latina background and that was portrayed as into Torah and the family Mm -hmm. Um, but it can can you elaborate further about what that meant to you it it was huge Um, it was huge in both the great ways and the horrifying ways (laughs) Um, it, it was huge because in, uh, we'll start with the good and then lead to where we see where it leads. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, it, it was so amazing to finally see people that looked like us on, when we would get animation. But also to know that um, when we recorded, they would do, uh, they would record, excuse me, when we take that back. So when we would record our audio sessions, they would also... Uh, digitally record video of us as we were performing so that they could capture some of our likeness in animation. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And so to me, like, that was just mad, insane respect to the whole process, recognizing that, you know, if we want to vocally 
portray a type of um, ethnicity, we should also maybe consider the way that specific person looks like as well. And and instead of, you know, just kind of like going off of the artist's idea of what a Latino looks like or, you know, what a Filipino-American looks like or something like that. So being that distinct representation of Toradoza was overwhelming <laughs> uh, in the sense that I was just so honored that... You know, statistically speaking, I am a California girl Um, in the rate that, like, if you think of the reality of the type of people that live in California, there's a majority of Latinos, and that's the most statistically, like, predominant person who could be considered a California girl. (laughs) But when you think of, like, the all-American California girl... Most people think of a blonde girl who loves to go surfing or something like that. And it's like, this actually gave me, and hopefully other Latinos, this really beautiful starting point of, no, I too am an American. (laughs) I too am a Californian. And I too represent the type of people that exist. in this world right now and and then also to be reflected out into this kind of universal consciousness of star wars is like oh my god thank you so much for trusting me with it uh and at the same time oh my gosh you're trusting me with the responsibility of giving voice to like almost every single latinx human being on the planet like this is how I talk. I don't have an accent. I went to school in California. <laughs> you know, I was, I was told by teachers to just speak English. And so it was also this daunting experience of, can I be truthful to the accent that uh, represents my Mexican-American heritage? And can it also be respectful to the other myriad of Latin Americans that exist on the planet who speak English as a second language or with a slight accent as well. So it, it was incredibly, um, incredibly overwhelming. And, and every day I worked, I would always ask Just, Justin, please, can I get a reference so I know what I'm sounding like? Um, I would call my mom before recording to be like, I just need to hear somebody with an accent so I know I don't mess this up. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it was, it was really a double-edged sword of like heavy responsibility and just complete elation to to give voice to the parts of me and the parts of other Latinos that that we don't just we don't get to hear ourselves or see ourselves in the world a lot. Um, and then to say like, no, we're not just on this planet; we're in space. <laughs> was really the cherry on top as well. So it's huge. Diversity is huge, and and I can't express enough how like. You know, as, 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 again, the little Mexican kid whose dad was a gardener and grew up weird in the burbs, <laughs> um, it, it means the world to me to be trusted with uh, this, this representation. That's, that's very cool. Um, I mean, I'm just, a, you know, a white guy from the South, but it, it, I realize there's so many, yeah, like you said, there's so many people who want to see their, their cells portrayed in space. And so, I mean, 
this show was a microcosm of that. It was Latino. It was African American. It was Asian American. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, it, they just. It seems like they really went out of their way to make sure so much, there was so much represented, in it, and that's what makes it one of the reasons it's such a beautiful show. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree, and and that it was also a kind of a, an extremely world worldly and worldwide um, representation of the of of humanity as well because yeah we we had african americans we had asian americans we also had non-americans new zealanders <laughs> and british people and and so it it really you know whenever we would go to work and that was another amazing thing that like we'd all sit in this semicircle together and just be able to look down the line and be like holy smokes like there's a, a lot of different shades in here and that's cool that's just really cool and to be able to to play with each other about that and to notice that like hey the uh the the New Zealanders not using a New Zealand accent and an American took the New Zealand accent whoa what does that look like <laughs> you know like being able to confront the weirdness of um what it feels like to to as you put it, to be a white guy from the South amongst everybody else. And to recognize that like we all are still rooting for each other and we all still have something to say, even if you just think like, oh, I'm just a white person. That's not true. You have a story to tell as well. And we want to share with that story. And and we want to recognize that like, oh, you you and I have way more in common. And, and the more that we sit with each other in these, you know, metaphorical semicircles to to see our shades and to see the differences, then we also get closer to seeing how similar we are. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, not only is that portrayed on screen, but you got portrayed as an action figure. Holy smokes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, I mean, I've told the story on the show before, but um, it, it was really cool that I was able to help you get that action figure. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Like, that's – if you need me to run groceries for you, I will. <laughs> you know, like, that to me – like, I will do anything for you, Doug, because you didn't have to. You definitely didn't have to send me anything. And the reason I didn't have it before was legitimately just pure laziness that I didn't want to go to Target and <laughs> go get an action figure. So thank you so much for, like, just kind of recognizing how monumental this character really was for me before I could even recognize that. And and just, like, on the, on the Instagram was like, hey, you need this. I'm going to go get it for you. It was seriously so cool. It's so great. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um... I felt bad because I was having all this luck finding them uh, just down the street. And then, <laughs> and yeah, apparently it was harder to find on the West coast. So I'm like, I'll get you one. <laughs> it's not that, yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know what it was like the, to be fair, like, it was really just like two targets that I went to and I was like, ah, it's that. So we'll give, give the kids that I'll, I'll have one eventually. And so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you. And thank you for the, uh, for the autograph in return and, and the shout out on, like the Star Wars show, that was that, that was a crazy day. That was a crazy day. That really was, and of course, any time. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm your biggest fan for just having for being my fan. Like that's weird. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, 
but hey, we're all, we're all in it together. We love Star Wars, and you know, yeah. whatever we can do. Um, so over the two seasons, uh, did you have any like Torah centric episodes that were your particular favorites? Her birthday. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, that one's. Um... That one was was really exciting for me just because I got to, I, I'm very dramatic, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> it's either, you know, zero to a hundred and very little time. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I think that particular episode, the birthday episode, and of course I'm going to blank on the name of it, um, but it was really, really my favorite episode just because I, again, flounder through life going, where do I belong? I don't know what's, what's going on. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that was a, a, a really crystalline episode of who Tora is and why she's willing to fight and being able to, to portray someone who's upset um, in an animation. Like, we don't get that very often. If you look through a lot of children's animation, there's not a lot of girls getting upset <laughs> and no. to, to be able to just like I, I in my mind right now I'm listening to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn going you could get more upset like wouldn't wouldn't you be upset if your mom didn't show up why aren't be more upset that's fine and recognizing that like oh we we always tell our girls to like buck up and it's okay and think of the greater good and to have an episode where we can just vent and and not rely on like this this system that makes us have to be stronger and smarter and kinder and sweeter at the same time was just really liberating. Um, and yeah, anytime I can show a girl that's just kind of like fed up with the rules <laughs> is my favorite episode. <laughs> that, that, that was a good one. Um, I loved, I was going to look at the title for you just so... Um, I loved when you finally re, um, Tora was finally reunited with her mom in rebuilding the resistance. And you know, it, it was too bad it was had to be the next to last episode because, you know, if, if it had gotten to unite before then, that would have been good. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we all, we all had a ton of plans. <laughs> we all had a, a ton of ideas and it just made more sense for production to end it with the, with the trilogy. Um, but you know, you just never know. You never know if they'll do some sort of post trilogy reboot or, um, if these characters will show up in another animation elsewhere. You just never know. You never can tell. Rendezvous point. That was it. Yes, that's it. Rendezvous point. Thank you. You're welcome. And and just in general, I loved the first season ones where Tora and Kaz were sneaking around yeah and i don't know if you ever saw it but somebody found um uh from parks and recreation when uh john ralphio and his sister were sneaking around the cemetery <laughs> <laughs> and and they were like and they're like kaz and tora <laughs> yes yes oh i love that anytime i can be um compared to Jean Ralphio and Mona Lisa Ralphio or no Mona Lisa Saperstein. Yep. <laughs> that's right yes <laughs> anytime i can be uh compared to them is 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 a good day so thank you <laughs> you're welcome yes not not as selfish i would hope but kaz and tora definitely have that uh getting into trouble and being silly vibe for sure <laughs> yes uh, and uh, i always thought it was 
weird people were trying to ship them, and I was like, she's like 16. Thank you. She was 15 when the season 15, started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was just about to say that as well, too, that um, whenever anybody would be like, hey, it looks like they're shipping Kaz and Tora, I was always like, Kaz is her brother. That's like gross. I don't, she's too young to have a boyfriend. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and I fully believe that it, Commander Dozo would be like, she can't have a boyfriend until she's married. They're just that simple. <laughs> oh yeah, he he would have had to say something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, yeah. I, I think some of us were taken aback by the way the series ended. We're like, well, I mean, you know, they did resolve Tam's uh, story, but there's, there's so much more with. All these great people, you know, they haven't found a place to settle yet, and um, and you never know. Like, you know, Clone Wars got another season; they're doing a whole other series with Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, well, maybe we'll hear your voice again. Who knows? Um, yeah. But I mean, there's always, you know, as a, like an unofficial season three. We would love it. <laughs> yeah, let's not just keep saying that. We would love an unofficial season three. <laughs> um, and. I'm sorry, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, and I was just going to say, and the fact they confirmed that Tora fought at the Battle of Exegol alongside Kaz and Yeager. Would that not be cool to see? <laughs> yes. Uh, it, 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 it's great that you mentioned earlier that, you know, they tried to base the animation off how you all looked, because I noticed that really early. I was like, these characters look like the, the you know, the actors. So I, it didn't happen, but I kept thinking, man, if they get, like, cockpit cameos in at the end of Rise of Skywalker, that's going to be awesome. Because I, I just kept waiting and waiting. But um, but at least we got confirmation that Tora was there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was definitely... Um, it's always something that we were... Like, I can distinctly remember Christopher and I joking about that, of like, you know, maybe one day we should go into the studio with, like, our headshot looks so that we could be like, oh, yeah, we, we do a little on-camera work as well. We do a little live action if you... You guys ever need somebody in a cockpit or something? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you just never know. You never know what'll happen next. And I was definitely honored, and I always try to stay humble and, and be honored that, like, you guys, these people were even talking about me. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's cool. They, they were even like wondering, hey, could, where could we put a Toradoza? Well, even if we can't see the real one or. We're having animation in there. We can we can say she was there, and that'll turn into something. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it was it was really an honor to just be included. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. So, so I guess to close it out, because um, you've been very generous with your time, and I love the stories you've told. Um, but in kind of a conclusion, um, like post follow the first order where where would you ideally see the doza family settling in oh great question um i feel like the doza family would have a lot of work to do uh i think vanisa would not let anybody settle down (laughs) uh i think that yeah vanisa would probably have some sort of hand in um republic reconstruction and the doza family is like they make perfect sense. Commander Dozo was in charge of an outpost. Like, why would he not be in charge of Republic outposting? And Venisa would, yeah, I, I just feel like Venisa and Toro would um, 
you know, just be really good at, at messengering and somehow uh, creating diplomacy between planets and stuff like that's my dream <laughs> that they would just kind of be more there would be more um, more space time, more planets, more discovering for Tora, especially because she's still so young. And I think we left her in a moment where she was really hungry to experience the world and you know she she was ready for action and and was constantly saying that she can do this and she can she can fight with the resistance and she you know was ready to to take on bigger roles so i think they would the doza family would be doing a lot of work <laughs> i like it i do too i hope they read it <laughs> yes <laughs> uh well myrna um Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for remembering resistance. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much, Doug. I had an absolutely absolute blast talking with you. Thank you for taking a little stroll down memory lane with me and letting me gab your ear off about my silly stories. <laughs> you are welcome. Um, so where can our listeners um, find you on social media to keep up with your work? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram and Twitter as Mernzilla. It is spelt M-Y-R-N-Z-I-L-L-A. So like Godzilla with Mern in the front. <laughs> um, yeah, I like to post a lot about the world around us and a lot about my work. Um, and and yeah, I love to try to keep in touch with, with as many fans as possible. So I do try to like message everybody back. <laughs> Yes, you're very awesome about that. <laughs> you're welcome. And um, everybody can find me at Radio Dakar on Instagram and Twitter. Um, all the Radio Dakar episodes um, of my other interviews and reviews are on most major podcast platforms. Uh, you can find them all through Anchor. Um, but we are done with this episode. Um, Myrna, thank you very much. And it would be my honor if you would take us out today. Thank you so much, Doug, and may the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>